Good morning, Faith Covenant Church. My name is Kurt. I'm also one of the pastors here, and I want to add my welcome to you this morning on this special Memorial Day weekend. And uh, we recognize that uh, in the midst of this difficult time of uh, pandemic and coronavirus, uh, we're not really sure where this is all going. And uh, we grieve that we can't meet together to worship, that we can't hug one another and greet one another with uh, the right hand of fellowship. And yet we know that because we share the spirit of God in our midst, we can fellowship with one another. We can share our lives and we can commune together in uh, unique and powerful ways. And we are uh, trusting in the words of scripture. We are putting our hope in the promises of God. And as we are in week five of our series called Emerge, uh, we are reminded that 1 Corinthians 2.9 tells us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no human mind has conceived the things that God has promised for those who love him. So we celebrate this weekend that we are here because of the men and women who have said yes to the call to protect our freedoms, to serve our country, and to, to pay the ultimate price, to make the ultimate sacrifice, to secure our ability to worship God together. But we are also here to celebrate those men and women who over 2,000 years ago also said yes to Jesus, who said yes to the, the gift of the Holy Spirit and who were transformed to become Christ's witnesses, not only in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, but to the ends of the earth. And because of their willingness to say yes, we are able to be here as part of the family of God this morning. And so as we enter into our next uh, uh, look at Acts chapter 2, I want to invite you to just pray with me one more time and ask God to bless this time of looking into his word. Would you pray with me? Holy God, on, on this Memorial Day weekend, we thank you for, for all those who have given their lives to secure our freedoms, uh, to make our country safe, and to allow us to worship you together this morning. God, as we look to your word, we ask for a fresh wind of your spirit. Would you descend on our hearts and our minds through the fire of your presence to ignite our imaginations to the new possibilities that you may have for us today in our walk with Jesus, in our experience of church, and as we become uh, good news messengers of your kingdom in a lost and a hurting world. God, we give you our time, our talent, and our treasure, and ask that you would use us and multiply your kingdom, not for our glory, but for your own. We thank you, and we ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus, who gave his life so that we might have life and have it to the full. Amen. If you've been with us through the series, you know that uh, in week one, we talked about how Jesus commanded his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything he commanded them. And he promised them that in that process, he would be with them to the, to the very end of the age. But we also said that if you look at the story in the book of Acts, before he commanded them to go, he also said that, that, that you have to wait. Wait for the gift that my father promised. Don't leave Jerusalem yet. Wait for the empowerment that God has promised that will allow you to live out this calling that I've given you. And what we recognize is this mission of the church to, to make disciples has never changed. It, it is always the core function of who we are and why we exist 
as the body of Christ in the world. It's his mission that he has called us to live out and to continue in his name. In many ways, we too are in a season of waiting, right? We are wondering, what, is the, what does the future hold? How is this all going to play out? And how do we as a church continue to live into this mission that we have uh, when we can't even meet together for worship on Sunday mornings, when we're holed up in our homes and, and not even sure when exactly all of these restrictions are going to be lifted? But in this season of waiting, I think we also want to be asking the question, what is God doing in our hearts and in our lives? And what will emerge out of this time believing that that no eye has seen and no ear has heard the things that God has promised for those who love him? In week two, we talked about how the gift of the Holy Spirit then came at Pentecost as wind and as fire, two things that that don't have physical properties of, of their own, but nonetheless, they have incredible power that we can see by the results that they produce. And in the same way, when the Spirit comes like a wind or a fire in our lives, it produces results that become evidence of the truth of God's word at work in the world through his son, Jesus. And so in week three, we saw that the disciples were filled with the Spirit, and as a result, they sing God's praises, they speak God's praises, and they tell the good news story of Jesus in other languages than they they knew of their own. And Peter identifies this whole experience as a prophetic sign going all the way back to the prophet Joel that God's promise to Israel was now being fulfilled. In verses 17 and 18 of chapter 2, he quotes the prophet Joel, who said, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And so speaking in tongues or languages that the disciples didn't previously know signifies that this miraculous power of the Holy Spirit has come to Jesus' disciples to enable them to be his witnesses to the whole world and to share this good news message across race, across nationality, across gender, across boundaries, across ageism, a whole new experience of community would be emerging that allowed the message of Christ to go forward into the whole world. And then last week, we also saw how this experience of speaking in tongues was also a sign of God's reversing the curse of Babel creating a new experience of human community, ushering in a new era of fellowship and cooperation with the dividing walls of hostility being broken down, Jesus' disciples are now empowered to live together in new and powerful ways. What I want us to focus on and see today as we finish out Acts chapter 2 is that this experience of Christian community is itself a part of the good news message of Jesus Christ that we are called to share with the world. And it comes as a result of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our midst. 
As we pick up the story today, we see that, that Peter stands up as a, uh, he stands with the 11 and they are representatives of all the people because the, the spirit descended on each person individually. And so we, in the story, Peter is the representative of the people and he stands as an example of an empowered witness, a prophetic voice to tell the story of Jesus to the people. And empowered by the spirit, telling the good news story, he explains to all the people who are wondering what going on what this all means and so he stands up and in verse 22 we pick up part of his message he says fellow israelites listen to this jesus of nazareth was a man accredited by god to you by miracles wonders and signs which god did among you through him as you yourselves know this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now he goes on in verses 25 to 35 that for the sake of time we're going to skip over. But because he's speaking to Israelites at the time, he goes back and talks about the, the connection to King David and the prophecies through David and how this connects to the whole generational line that Jesus was the heir to the promise of Israel. But for us today, we're going to jump to verse 36, in which I would suggest to us today becomes the climax of the entire chapter 2, where Peter says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. God has put this Jesus in charge of all things. He is the Lord. And God made this Jesus Messiah. He is the Savior of the whole world, fulfilling his promises to the people of Israel in new and powerful ways. And then in verse 37, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What can we do? How do we respond? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all who would call on the name of the Lord. With many other words, it says he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And then an amazing thing happens in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, with that kind of a, an evangelistic result, we could stop right there, right? I mean, that would be a great uh, text to preach on. But, but I felt like for today, we can't just bracket that out because the story continues and the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, becomes a critical part in understanding what's going on in chapter 2. So let, let's finish out the chapter by reading verses 42 to 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number 
daily those who are being saved. So I'd like to suggest that as we look at Acts chapter 2 in its completeness, that what we see as we look at the whole story is that as a result of the gift and the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' disciples are empowered to become the prophetic witnesses that Christ had called them to be, not only though telling the good news story of Jesus and helping people to understand what it means for their own lives and how they too can respond, but what we see here today is that as a result of the coming of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' disciples begin to experience a new kind of community life together. As the gift of the Spirit breaks down these dividing walls of hostility between people, a new age of cooperative living emerges, and a kind of reversal of the, the curse of the Tower of Babel, as we've talked about, and the very lifestyle of Christian community becomes a part of the good news message of Jesus Christ. It's really important that we don't miss this second half of the message of Acts chapter 2. As a result of the gift of the Holy Spirit, not only do 3,000 people come to faith in one day, but a new community emerges that continues to grow daily as they live out this call of Jesus to witness to the good news of Jesus and how they live their lives in relationship with one another. I want to suggest to us today that in the context of Acts chapter 2, we cannot separate the good news message from the good news community. We cannot separate evangelism from fellowship. They're two sides of the same coin. And I think this becomes even more evident as we look at the ideas and the language being used throughout the chapter. Many of the key words uh, that describe the mission and the character of the emerging church, either directly or indirectly, are, are, are right here in Acts chapter 2. I just want to look at four words that are, are common church Christian words that, that are reflected in this passage. The first one is this word evangelism, Right? Evangelism in many ways in our day has become a dirty word, right? We have images of going door to door, knocking, trying to convert people and convince them to say yes to Jesus and, and believe like we believe. But this word evangelism uh, comes from the Greek root word evangel. And, and, and in the core of the word evangel is the word angel. An angel in the Bible is simply a messenger, so, so an evangel is a good news messenger. And evangelism, then, is simply sharing the message of the good news with other people in our life. And that the same word in the English language is translated gospel. Gospel comes from Old English. Uh, the word, I believe, was godspell, which means god was good, and spell meant tale or story. So it was good tale, good story. It was good news. So evangel and gospel were, were, were the good news message of Jesus to which the disciples of Jesus are called and empowered by the Holy Spirit to, to tell, to speak, to share, to give witness to, and how it's impacted their own lives. However, it is not only by means of words and tongues and language that the disciples give witness here in the story. We also see the emerging emphasis on the Christian experience of fellowship as the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, the, the word, Greek word koinonia is the word that is translated most often as fellowship. And it comes from the core root word koinos, which simply means to have in common. It's associated with communion or partnership. Uh, the word appears 19 times in the New Testament. It is translated fellowship 12 of those times, but it's also translated as sharing three times or twice as participation and uh, two other times as a shared contribution. And so fellowship is the English version of this word koinonia in the Greek, which simply gets at this idea of an emerging companionship, a membership, a partnership, a joint, uh, a gift jointly contributed. You see, in the New Testament, the word is applied to the idea of Christian community that is a whole new experience of what it means to live in relationship with one another, to begin to share our lives in common. Fellowship and communion with one another in the body of Christ is a reflection of the fact that the many who were separated are now made one in the body of Christ. And as a result, people's perspectives and the priorities on, on what was important in their lives begin to shift. And, in, and the ways that they lived out their lives together in community began to shift as well. Can I suggest for us today, as we look at all of this in the context of Acts chapter 2, that too often in our experience of church in our day, as we think about life and church and ministry, that too often we have separated these twin aspects of the work of the Holy Spirit in our own lives, as if evangelism is one thing and fellowship is another thing. As if ministry to those outside the church is something different than to the ministry to those who are inside the church. I think that as we read Acts chapter 2 in its full context, we cannot separate one from the other. Because when we separate evangelism from community, what we do is we unwittingly remove the content of the story, the good news message of Jesus, from the context of the story which is human fellowship, reconciled relationship, and loving community. You see, the location in the world where the good news message becomes manifest and real in a real-life situation where people can see it in practice and understand what it looks like so they can choose to believe it and say yes to Jesus is in real-life relationships that we live out with one another. If we separate evangelism from fellowship, the good news message becomes more difficult for people to comprehend. It becomes more difficult for them to believe because the evidence of its truth is no longer readily visible in the world. So here's the real risk and challenge that I believe is in Acts chapter 2 for our church today. If we separate the content and the delivery of the good news in the world from the shared lifestyle of the good news as its context, we no longer need to ensure that the lifestyle matches the message. Let me say that one more time. If we separate the content and the delivery of the good news in the world from the shared lifestyle of the good news message of Christ in our lives, we no longer need to ensure that the, the, the context, the lifestyle, matches the content. 
And because of that, too often, people are not able to connect the dots from what they see as evidence of the church in the world and this good news message of Jesus in the world. In Acts chapter 2, if we were to, to stop our reading and not read the verses 42 to 47, we might risk uh, focusing only on the preaching of Peter and the, the response of 3,000 people coming to faith and neglect the behavior of, of all the disciples together in Christian community and miss the whole second half of the message of chapter 2. See, do we understand that biblical evangelism looks and sounds less like preaching to strangers on a street corner and more like the woman at the well who runs and tells her friends and her neighbors and anyone who would listen, you have to come and meet this man who told me everything I've ever done. And I would add on there, and he still didn't reject me. So the real question for us today becomes more about how do we become more intentional about combining our fellowship with our evangelism? How do we understand that the way we experience life together as a community is a direct part of the message that we have to share with the world around us? Because if we don't understand the intimate connection of those two things, we run the risk of allowing our fellowship to not reflect the truth of what we say we believe. How do we pursue new ways of living our lives together that reflect this good news message of Jesus to which we are called to give witness, not just with our words, but with our very lives? In what ways can our lifestyle of Christian community become our very method of evangelism? How can I begin to change the way I live my life in ways that aren't just good for me, but are in ways that become good news to someone else? As I indicated, the, the climax of the chapter, I believe, occurs in verse 36. Let me read it again. Peter says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. You see, the fact that Jesus is the Messiah becomes the good news message, and it becomes the, the community's story. It's the origin story that gives the family of God its identity. The fact that Jesus is, is the Messiah and the Savior of the world is the good news message, but it is the Lordship of Christ that determines the nature of our Christian community. It is as we submit our lives to his wisdom, to his authority, to his teaching, and we begin to live that out in real and practical ways in our shared life together that we learn to become a reflection of this good news message that Jesus indeed is the promised Messiah. So we can see that this combining of, of content and context in the promises of Peter's sermon in verses 38 and 39 lead us directly to an experience of community life together. Peter replied in verse 38, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. In fact, it's for all whom the Lord God would call. 
You see, repentance and baptism in the name of Jesus Christ means that that not only do we receive forgiveness of our sins for ourselves and know that we will live forever in eternity with Jesus, but but we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit now to empower us, to, to work in our lives, to transform us into the image and the body of Christ in the world. And both of these are then experienced in and through our families in our relationships with one another and from generation to generation to generation. You see, the way that we choose to live out the good news message in our relationships as church today has a dramatic impact on on the good news message for the coming generation and the generation after that and the generation after that. What we are investing now in our lives together is a part of the advancement of the kingdom of God in the world beyond just our lives today. That's why Jesus said, wait for the gift. Wait for the gift my, pro- my father promised. And Peter tells us it's a promise that isn't just for you, but it's for your children. And it's for all who are far off, your friends, your neighbors, your extended family who maybe don't believe in Jesus right now and they don't go to church, but the promise is for them too. If we'll just believe that how we love one another can be a a part of the message to them that, that Jesus really does love them too. It's for all whom the Lord our God would call. The evangel, the, the gospel, the good news message of Jesus is a message that demands a response. You see, the biggest challenge, I think, for evangelism today isn't just the willingness of believers to, to tell the good news story of Jesus. It's also a challenge as to whether or not our version of Christian community is a ready reflection of this good news message. And I think that part of our our challenge and our sense from the Holy Spirit in this window of time where we are wading through the COVID-19 pandemic and we're wondering what is God going to do and what's going to emerge in our midst, this is an opportunity for us to begin to allow the Holy Spirit to, to open our eyes and open our hearts to new ways of being community together that reflect the good news message so that the world out there can see that Jesus is present and real, and the good news message is for them too. I believe, men and women, that that God could bring 3,000 people to faith in Jesus Christ today if he wanted to. But the question is, is our community really ready to receive them and to enfold them into the kind of lifestyle that Jesus would call them to? Sometimes crises like the one we're in can, can, can highlight our shortcomings and our gaps. It can, it can shine a flashlight on those places where we've been, been a little bit negligent or maybe we haven't followed through or, or maybe we were paying attention to the wrong things. And so I, I think this is an opportunity for us at Faith Covenant Church to, to really take a hard look, you know, as the restrictions begin to lift and we want to go back to some sense of normalcy or the things that we were doing before COVID-19 necessarily necessarily the right things? Or is this an opportunity, as we've said throughout this year, to to begin to say no to some good things in order to say yes to maybe some of God's best things? You see, in the same way that in Acts chapter 2, all the believers became the living evidence of the presence and the power of God's Spirit at work in their lives, 
We too are invited to experience the Holy Spirit in fresh new ways to empower us to live out our relationships in new and life-giving ways. The community life that combined the Good News Fellowship with the Good News Testimony was attractive to the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Now, as we wrap up this morning, I just have a couple more points I want to hit. Sometimes as we look at the New Testament church, we can think about this experience as a very idyllic and romantic and kind of perfect experience of Christian community. But as we look at the rest of the New Testament, and even as we go through the chapters of Acts, we're going to see that it was anything but easy to maintain. And all of the churches in the New Testament continue to struggle with their resistance and their sin and their misunderstanding of the kingdom of God in their midst. That's why, actually, most of the New Testament was written. It was written to churches with problems. And and, and as your pastor and as your friend, again, I want to confess to you today, you might not have known this before, but I've got problems. And I would suspect that if truth be told, you've got problems as well. You know, all of God's kids have problems. But you know what the difference is in Christian community? Is that Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. And in the the gift of the Holy Spirit, he has given each of us gifts to give away to one another to help each other work through our problems. See, it's in this way that our calling and our empowerment through the Holy Spirit to be Christ's witnesses occurs through the grace and the mercy and the giftedness of our shared community as we learn to love one another well. Community and testimony go hand in hand. And the truth of the matter is that no matter what this world throws at us, whether it's financial crisis or or viruses or, or, or illnesses or all of the different things that we struggle through the ups and downs of life, we are in it together. And whether we gather in a sanctuary or in a coffee shop or, or in our homes or online or even simply by checking in by phone, we remain in fellowship with one another as a testimony of the good news of Jesus at work in our lives. Now, I know many of you have been contacting me about the president's announcement this week that that we need to be considering churches essential businesses and and that is heartening in many ways because i can tell you we want to get back to public worship as quickly as possible we miss you we want to be together however we also want to continue to follow the prayerful discernment and the guidelines of what wise stewardship means as we care for one another as a christian community and as we wait for the leading of the holy spirit so we believe that we are working hard to to serve our community well in this time that you all are faithfully contributing your gifts and your resources and, and your prayers to one another and i believe it's a mistake to characterize the church as being closed during this time because nothing is further from the truth we have been and we continue to do the essential work of the kingdom of God as we pour our lives into one another in many unique and powerful ways. 
So we will continue to plan and prepare and to communicate with you where the Holy Spirit is leading and when we can begin to meet together again and worship the mighty and living God in public worship. But as we wait, we wait for the Spirit. And we trust in His power to use this time to bring life out of death, to bring good out of the bad, to bring new things, to bring a new wineskin for us to be empowered, to be Christ's witnesses in the world in new ways. If we believe that we belong to the Lord and to one another, then let us believe in the promises of God to his people so that we may become, in this time, everything he is calling us to be in him. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you that you continue to pour out your spirit. That you allow us to be your children by being born into the Christian family that you have called us to be a part of. Help us today to recognize how in every relationship, in every way that we invest ourselves in one another, we are giving testimony to the power of your spirit work in, your, in our lives. And would you allow our light to shine in the darkness as we open ourselves to the new things that you want to do and as you empower us to be Christ's witnesses in this dark and this hurting world. And we will thank you and praise you through Jesus Christ our Lord in whose name we pray, amen.